This is a berry tale, and it's called John. John died when he was almost 93 years old. He was born and raised on a farm in Utopia, Ontario. He lived through the time before and the time of the telephone, the automobile. He saw changes in our society over nearly a hundred years of active life. He used to take the train to school, catching it across one of the farm fields his family worked. He went to Central Collegiate, it's gone now, and attended the Ontario Agricultural College before it became the University of Guelph. He left the farm following a rough year during the Depression and took his wife Isabel and their three kids to town. He secured a job on the railroad, the Canadian National Railroad. He had a variety of positions for the CN and eventually worked his way to engineer. He saw the transition from steam engines to diesel and lived long enough to hear about the crew-less train that ran across a thousand miles of Canadian track. He and Isabel had seven children in all. Physically, he was a little taller than a perfect square. He had large hands the size of baseball mitts. He kept his hair railroader short and slicked back, and he had that hair right to his death. He wasn't afraid of physical labor and was strong enough to get stuff done. Was there a physical feature that stood out? His nose was a little bulbous, but not overly. His eyes were an intelligent, light blue, and could flicker to intensity. He had no visible scars and had broken any bones in his life, not that I know of, anyway. His mind was sharp. He had a good sense of humor that could lean toward the absurd, and he thought about things, things that would lead to wisdom. He shared maxims that he'd learned from his parents and from along the way. He had a subscription to popular mechanics, and with the knowledge he'd gathered on the farm, he'd combine it with the instructions in the magazine and get at his own wiring, carpentry, and mechanical repairs. He could fix things when they were broken. He and his brother Clarence, most mornings after they'd both retired, would jump on the phone and pass jokes and gossip back and forth. One or the other would call just after dawn, Clarence from the farm in Utopia or John from his home in Barrie, and the first thing usually said, Am I in the obituaries today? Clarence got the local paper before John, and he'd have it at the ready. Following a brief pause, Clary would say, Nope, we're all clear for today, John. But you know who did die, though? And the stories would lead the conversation almost anywhere. The calls were a joy for both brothers and were filled with plenty of stories and laughter, sometimes plans for a get-together. John liked to play cards, cribbage or euchre mostly. At 68 years of age, he had what was referred to as a minor heart attack. Following his recovery, he started a physical regimen and was religious about it for the rest of his days. He signed on at a gym and would be at the door prior to the place opening at 5 a.m. A local TV station gave him a Citizen's Award for his fitness when he turned 90. He provided for his family right up to the end, one way or the other. There are plenty of stories about John and his activities and his thoughts. He was an energy for sure, a square dancer, a snappy dresser, kept his lawn TV perfect, his roses as tall as teenagers. He had fresh ground coffee, a smell that permeated the house when he came home from the railroad and would prepare a large thermos of it before he went back out on the railroad. He didn't have much time for squirrels. He got to church every morning before anybody else and was finally given a key by the priests for the front door because they were still in bed when he got there. He'd shovel or sweep the walk, make sure the water and wine were in the holders, bulletins at the ready. John made the place ready for a proper showing for when the congregation arrived. 
A small perk to all of this was he got a prime parking spot because he arrived before dawn. There's a story I think about from time to time and across my mind again today. John had a standing lunch with a woman of Irish descent at the Nottawasaga Inn every St. Patrick's Day for a number of years. They'd get together to share a meal, a snort at Jameson's, and by all reports had a nice time. John's great-grandfather had emigrated from Dublin in the 1830s and had founded Utopia in 1845, and John was very proud of his Irish ancestry. On the day he got dressed in a fine white suit, a Kelly green tie with a Kelly green pocket square for his jacket. He looked smart. No overcoat required. It was March 17th, for God's sakes. The weather would be fine, no matter what the weather was. The last St. Paddy's lunch never happened. John had been diagnosed with cancer the previous summer, but had maintained his positive spirit and his health as best he could. In spite of how he was feeling, he was determined to make his annual trek to the Nottawasaga Inn. He arrived in plenty of time, as was his way, well before the appointment. On camping trips, he'd have us up leaving the house by 4 a.m. in order to get ahead of the rush. But as we were traveling to the East Coast, I never really understood why we wouldn't wind up hitting a rush somewhere else along the trail, and we'd still be a thousand miles from our destination. It might have been the farmer in him, or the railroader, or the father, or the man, or just the way he was built from back in time. So the last St. Paddy's Day lunch was a very cold March 17th, temperatures hovering around freezing. He pulled into the parking lot at 10.30 a.m. for a noon get-together. He sat there with his Camry turned off and he waited. 11.30 came and she still wasn't there. Noon, still nothing. He never had a cell phone, so there was no way for her to call him or he her. He sat there in his white suit and no overcoat, getting colder and colder. An hour after the appointed time, he turned the car on, letting the heat warm his cold bones. He then slowly pulled out of the parking lot, half expecting that she might drive in. She didn't, and he never heard from her again. John didn't pursue it either. The ball is in her court, he said to me. The story, with its ring of sadness, speaks to the quality of John. He had a grand sense of occasion and an equally grand sense of respect for it and for others. He was prepared well in advance to offer the best of himself, as he'd done thousands of times before. He was loyal, a good friend, and he understood the power of get-togethers. Right to the end, he never gave up, he believed he stood by his post. There's something admirable in that, something to strive for, something to hold on to. His getting up early, no matter the cause, no matter the occasion, spoke of his heart, his desire to be counted on, to get at what needed to be gotten at. John worked through his life in all the ways any of us do. He fought the fight, wasn't someone who surrendered easily, and he believed in his community and in his family, and right up to the end loved the land and the things that grew upon it. He was a person who arrived at a place best described as right with the world. That's the end of that berry tale. There'll be more of them coming along. If you like what you hear, you can drop us a line at utopiaroadpictures at gmail.com or you can send us a message right to the podcast. Thanks so much for listening.